Today I'm your reader. And so we're going to take a look at Hebrews, the, uh, the very end of the fourth chapter, verses 14, 15, and 16, and then into chapter 5 through verse 10. So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings that we do. Yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Every high priest is a man chosen to represent other people in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and offers sacrifices for their sins. And he is able to deal gently with ignorant and wayward people because he himself is subject to the same weaknesses. That is why he must offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as theirs. And no one can become a high priest simply because he wants such an honor He must be called by God for this work, just as Aaron was. That is why Christ did not honor himself by assuming he could become high priest. No, he was chosen by God, who said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And and in another passage, God said to him, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. While Jesus was here on earth, he offered prayers and pleadings with a loud cry and tears to the one who could rescue him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his deep reverence for God. Even though Jesus was God's son, he learned obedience from the things he suffered. In this way, God qualified him as a perfect high priest, and he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him. And God designated him to be a high priest in the order of Melchizedek. So the first question that maybe comes to mind is, who is this Melchizedek? And I want you to know that I'm going to tell you in a couple of weeks. Hang tight. He appears again in chapter 7. This is just like an introduction. But today we wanted to take a look at Jesus, the great high priest, or as I lovingly have referred to him here, as Pastor Jesus. Now, today's scripture begins with a formal prayer and a sense of worship. It's kind of like it begins with, let us pray and worship God. In verse 14, we read, So then, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly, and it says to what we believe, literally it's, let us hold firmly to the confession of our faith. The Apostles' Creed is the confession of our faith, right? Let us hold firmly to that confession. And then in verse 16, It says this, so let us come boldly to the throne 
of our gracious God. Let us come not with trepidation. Let us come into his presence with boldness. I'll never forget a prayer that I prayed. It was when I was in 10th grade. And I guess you might say that it was a very bold and daring prayer. Because I felt like my life was in trouble. Now you've heard me refer to before that I come from a medical family. My dad was an eye doctor. My brother's an eye doctor. I have a son-in-law who's a PA. So I, I have medical people in my life and have had them in my life. And one of the things that, um, one of the unwritten things about my parents, especially my dad, because my mom was also, um, she worked in a, a lab um, doing blood testing. And um, so, so my parents expected us, I have three brothers, all four of us boys, to do well in school, but especially in science and math. Those were their strengths. And I'm just going to be real honest with you that that was my weakness. I was not strong in science. Much to my father's dismay, it was not something that I exceeded in. And so I remember in 10th grade when Mr. Wells, our biology teacher, was giving out um, individually, he called us up to his desk using his slide ruler. Yes, this was during the time of calculators, but he still was an old school guy. He was using that, that slide ruler. And, and, and so he told me, he said, no, I've calculated your grade and it's a D plus. And I was devastated. I just thought, I, I knew it wasn't great, you know, in science. I was lucky if I could become a B student. Uh, I, I, I didn't think it was going to be great, but I didn't think it was going to be that bad. And so I went home. And after dinner, I went up to my room and I hit my knees. And I prayed with all earnestness to God. I prayed boldly, God, this, this I don't know what to do with this. I, I prayed like Isaiah prayed. You remember in chapter 6 of Isaiah when, when he encounters God, he sees the vision of God in the temple? You remember God's robe is so long that it fills the temple? And, and, and so what does Isaiah say after this big presentation of God? He's seen God in the temple. He says, I am doomed. That's what I said. <laughs> I am doomed. My life is over, for I am a sinful man, and I am failing science class. Now, this was not a prideful prayer. This was a prayer of desperation. That's what made it bold, was how could I even imagine that God would listen to me? No human is truly worthy of seeing God or of interacting with God. No one is, right? Well, except for Jesus. And then Jesus changes everything for us. It was 
a morning of praise and thanksgiving when I went back into my biology class and Mr. Wells called me back up to his desk and he said, my trusty slide rule failed me yesterday. I miscalculated your grade. You're getting a B. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Once Jesus comes on the scene, everything changes. He came, and he came as fully human. He came to answer your prayers. He came so that you could have a sense that God is with you, that you could trust in the Lord. Now, the problem for many of these early church residents that were a part of this house church that the preacher of Hebrews is preaching this sermon to as he writes it was that they knew about Jesus. They were one generation behind Jesus. They they had met some of the people who had interacted with Jesus. They knew people who actually saw Jesus. But Jesus was human. And he was weak. And he suffered. And he was even rejected. And yet because of these very actions, that same Jesus brings you salvation. And he is your brother. And he is my brother. Ironic, isn't it? That the weak, rejected Jesus is the one who will save you from your sins. Well, let's let's put this into some context here. The preacher here is saying that Jesus is the great high priest, not just any high priest, but he is now the high priest that has superseded all the previous high priests that ever existed, all the way back to Aaron. And what he is saying here is that this great high priest is present for the questions, the doubts, and the weaknesses that we carry. You see, Christians in the early church questioned whether Jesus was really strong enough to help them. He's the one that got beaten up and then crucified. Some in this early house church had become weary of waiting for Jesus to come again. And some, some had just moved on. You know, they no longer attended the house church. They really no longer believed what they had heard and believed earlier. It's an ironic statement that this preacher makes, that the suffering, the weak, rejected Jesus is actually the great high priest. And not just the high priest, But he is your great high priest. He is my great high priest. The preacher then goes into some qualities 
that make Jesus the great high priest. The first one is that Jesus fulfills the function of the high priestly role. So there's the title high priest, but there's also the function of the high priest. And what is the function of the high priest? Well, the function is that the high priest served as a mediator between God and between the people of Israel. He was the mediator between God and humanity. And the high priest took, uh, received um, offerings and gifts, the sacrifices that the people offered. The priest would receive those gifts. He would take the sacrifices into the temple. He would make the, offer the sacrifice in the temple on behalf of the people. So he was the mediator between God and the people. For their sins, they would bring sacrifices and offerings and gifts. And the priest would receive them. And then he would take the, the sacrifice, the bull or the goat, and he would sacrifice it upon the altar to take away the sins of the person who had offered the goat or the bull. Now, it's important to make the distinction here that the high priest doesn't forgive people of their sins. Only God does that. He is the mediator, the high priest. He is the messenger. The high priest is the messenger. You might, might we even say that the high priest is the angel? Let's go back to the first chapter and take a look at that again. So, Jesus served as the great high priest, as the mediator between God and between God's people. And Jesus does this in a way that he exceeds all the previous high priests in two ways. First of all, Jesus is more than mediator. He is also the source of eternal salvation. He is the source of God and God's gifts to us. Out in the East Coast, they sell a bottled water called Poland Spring Water. I don't know if anybody's ever seen that or had that before. But uh, Poland Spring Water is a nice mineral water. It's a bottled water. And a few years back, maybe 10 years back or so, that company experienced a lawsuit. And they're being sued because Poland Spring mineral water which they advertise on their bottle did not come from Poland Spring. You see Poland Spring dried up in 1967. But if you're a branding expert you don't really want to lose your name, right? So you gotta try to keep the name. Now one of the interesting things about spring water, mineral water, uh, because there's lots of bottled waters, is that spring water actually has to come from spring water. Your bottled water can just be tap water that is processed, or even 
not processed, <laughs> but sold as bottled water. And, and so with spring water, there's a little bit more um, expectation of your truth in advertising. And so one of the things about this spring water, um, Poland spring water, is that they argued that, no, we can still call it that because 30% of that water in that bottle comes from springs nearby Poland Spring. And so the question is, what is the source of that water? Is it the true original source? Or is it other sources that have filtered in? Sorry, the pun. You see, what our preacher is trying to tell us is that Jesus is the source, the true source, the full 100% true source of eternal salvation. And that is different from the previous high priest because they mediated that source of eternal salvation but they were not the source. But Jesus is that source. The, sec the second thing that makes his function as the high priest different, where he exceeds the other high priest, is that not only is he the source of salvation, but he is the source of eternal, eternal salvation. This past Friday afternoon, I had a wonderful afternoon because Patty and I got to watch our granddaughter, Maeve, for the day. Maeve is the one who had been hospitalized a few weeks ago, and we give praise and thanks to God for her amazing healing. And so she was hanging out with us, and then Patty had to come mid-afternoon to teach some piano lessons here, so it was Maeve and Grandpa. And uh, so I asked what she wanted to do. She wanted to watch a movie. She has a few favorite movies. And so we started to watch one of her favorite movies, Luca. And then there was one point where she said, Grandpa, this part scares me. And I said, should Grandpa turn it off? And she said, no, come with me. <laughs> so we walked. We walked up to the TV screen, and then she goes, <laughs> we scare the TV. <laughs> we scare the show. <laughs> so that it can't scare us. I thought, well, that's pretty creative. She's got amazing parents who have taught her how to do that. I, so I took her hand. We went back and sat down. I said, should we watch the rest of the movie now? And she said, no, again. <laughs> so she grabbed my hand, and we went back up to the TV, and she goes, rawr! <laughs> and we went to sit down again, and I went to turn it on. She said, no, Bumpa, again! <laughs> and again! <laughs> and again! And again! And it didn't end until Bumpa couldn't get up off the couch anymore. <laughs> that is the predicament for the high priests is when they went into the temple they had to go in time and time again 
and again and again because they would offer the sacrifices for the sins that had occurred but then the next week happened and there'd be more sins there'd be more sacrifices and so they'd have to go back in again and the next week they'd go in again and the next week they would go in again this is where Jesus is different instead of offering bulls and goats Jesus offered himself once once and for all for your sins for my sins for the sins of the world once was enough with Jesus you see that is how he exceeded the previous high priests he didn't go to the cross again and again and again He went there once, and he offered himself as the sacrifice for all of us and for all of our sins. That is the function of the high priest, the great high priest who has paid it all for you and for me. So that's the first role, is the function The second characteristic of this great high priest is the person of the high priest. You see, high priests not only performed the functions of the high priest, but they were people too. They had feelings. They experienced compassion for the people. And so, in that sense, the high priest served as people's pastors. They were the recipient of the people's offerings and gifts and sacrifices. And they received those because they were invited into their people's lives. And they heard from their people about their sins and their fears and their hopes and their dreams and their prayers for salvation. You see, one of the greatest honors of being a pastor is being invited in to people's lives. You know, when you can be present with someone who is suffering from an illness, it is a powerful experience for the priest, the pastor. When you preside over the funeral of a loved one, it is an honor to be able to speak the promises of God on behalf of the congregation that is gathered. When a couple is married, it is such a privilege to be able to consummate that relationship under the auspices of God. It is a pure privilege and honor to be a pastor, to be a priest. And because of this trust, the priest needed to be compassionate and sympathetic to the needs of people, to the, to the sufferings of humans, to the sin of humanity. 
And because the previous high priests were also human, we know that they also suffered and were sinful. Just like your pastor suffers and is sinful and needs the same grace that you call upon. This makes sacrifice different because we can sacrifice for one another continually but there is one who has made the complete sacrifice for each one of us and because of that we all join a priesthood of believers since hence we should be able to be sensitive to one another's failings and sufferings and weaknesses and sins. Jesus, through his suffering, fulfills the personhood of the great high priest, the sense of compassion and sympathy and empathy for his people. He fulfills this personhood by becoming the great high priest or the great pastor. Jesus was like the previous high priests in that he was fully 100% human, but he was different from them in this sense, in the sense of his humanity. In the midst of his suffering, he did not turn to despair nor did he turn to loss of faith, as we see many in this early church turning to. Jesus, instead, turned to faith and trust in God. Jesus' suffering, his weaknesses, his being rejected, these, these things are not sins. Suffering is a part of being what it means to be human. If you are going to be human, you will suffer. That's not a sin. Nor is it a sin to have a weakness or to be rejected by others. You see, Jesus fulfills the personhood of the great high priest by not sinning even as he is rejected. Jesus suffered and experienced the pain of rejection but, but that pain taught him obedience. In verse 8 of our reading today it says this, even though Jesus was God's son he learned obedience from the things he suffered. You see, the suffering that Jesus endured was what caused him to be obedient to God, his heavenly Father. Jesus never forgot that he was God's son. He was a person who performed the role of the great high priest or the great pastor, the greatest pastor ever, 
Pastor Jesus. And that means that he not only functioned as the high priest, but he lived out in his person the identity of the high priest. The third and final quality that this preacher of Hebrews shares with us is that Jesus was appointed. Some translations refer to it as called. But he was appointed in his calling as the great high priest. I remember being at multiple bishop elections. And I always got nervous, I still get nervous, when I am introduced to people who actually want the job. My experience with church leadership is that it is not one that, is, that it is sought after. If you find somebody who wants to grasp the role, run from them as fast as you can. Because they probably do not have the best perspective, nor the clear understanding of the call, of the appointment. Jesus was appointed by God to be our great high priest. No high priest ever volunteers for this position. Jesus certainly did not volunteer for it. Which of us would volunteer to go to a cross? This is a very difficult calling to carry the sins of the people of Israel. And Jesus was appointed to the role of being the great high priest to carry the sins of all the world. And the preacher now takes us back to a couple of quotes that he made earlier in chapter 1 about who this Jesus is. Remember that very introduction? In Psalm 2, verse 7, the king proclaims the Lord's decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. That's the Lord God who is saying that to the Messiah, who is Jesus. And then he also refers to Psalm 110, verse 4. The Lord has taken an oath and will not break his vow. You are a priest forever in the order of Mechilzedek. Jesus has brought eternity into our lives. We have the promise of eternal salvation because of Jesus and his offering, his sacrifice. Jesus didn't ask for this job. God gave it to Jesus because God trusts Jesus as God's son. Jesus was appointed to this role when he was sent by God to earth. And he became human with us. God, Emmanuel, is with us. Jesus didn't ask for the job. He was appointed to the, to the role. And Jesus now has become your pastor. When he allowed himself to be arrested, to suffer the weaknesses that he suffered, 
as he was rejected by some of his very own people and as he was crucified to the cross. It is at that point when he was installed as our great high priest upon the cross. Jesus became your pastor on the cross. And that is why he will be the greatest pastor ever. And that is why we say, with the preacher here, back in chapter 1, that third verse, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. And he is the exact representation of God's being. The radiance, the beauty, the magnificence of God's glory and the exact representation of God's being. What can we say to that? This is what we can say. Let us close with a prayer of boldness, daring, and courage. Let us pray. Gracious God, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, that he has come to us to be our great pastor, the great high priest, that he not only offered the sacrifice, but he became the sacrifice to take away our sins. Reawaken us, Lord, to this great thing, and may we, may we become so overjoyed that it reminds us of a grade flip in high school. May we become so overjoyed that it reminds us that you turned darkness into light. May we become so overjoyed and filled with praise that all we can see is your radiance. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.